Entering the Freedom Hut. The most expensive Senate race and perhaps most consequential in decades currently underway. L.A. sees a massive COVID spike. Dictator Cuomo wants to be able to imprison anyone. Antifa terrorizes Josh Hawley's family. And is Kamala plagiarizing stories from MLK? Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. I can speak for three hours without a phone call. Try doing that sometime. It is Buck Sexton. Now. The damage they do will be permanent and will be irreversible. Can't let it happen. Nothing and no one will be able to stop them. The Senate seats are truly the last line of defense. Now, I must preface that by saying because they'll say he just conceded. No, no, I don't concede. So we have quite an important race today determining control of the United States Senate. As you know, Republicans already have 50 seats. Democrats have 48 seats. There are two Senate seats in play because There was no one who got more than 50 percent in the election. So that forces a runoff. And now we have this battle between these candidates playing out with the whole country watching very closely because so much is at stake. You got Ossoff hoping to defeat Purdue. You have Warnock up against Kelly Leffler. And many people now sitting around wondering what would happen. I mean, the president even understands the stakes here. What would happen if the Democrats had uncontested, well, I shouldn't say uncontested, but majority control. Hopefully we'll contest it no matter what. Majority control in the House, the Senate, and, and of course having the presidency as well. What are the kinds of things that they would do? Often we talk about politics in more general terms. Perhaps even we focus in on things that are more theoretically impactful that are more a question of what is what is best what is right but not necessarily what will affect you the control of the senate especially when you take into account the very high likelihood that joe biden and kamala harris the 99.9 percent likelihood that they're going to be the president and vice president of the united states in just a matter of weeks here the senate is as the president as our current president, Trump, pointed out the last line of defense. And if you have Harris and Biden, gosh, I didn't mean to say it in that order, but seems right, doesn't it? Increasingly, this will look like a Harris presidency with this guy named Joe Biden, who's hanging out in the Oval Office, but not really calling the shots. That's my prediction. But if they don't have the Senate, they're not able to do the same kind of long term damage. And they're much less likely to be able to do damage that will affect you. Here's what they're not telling you. Here's what you're not hearing about what this will influence. If we have Democrats in control of the House, the Senate and the White House, you will see a major increase in taxes. You will see an effort to try and come up with a public option which will expand the one thing. Do you know what drives most states deep into the red? Do you, do you know what the single biggest budget item is that, that pushes states into debt and then causes more borrowing, and then there's interest payments, which means, guess what? More 
tax on all of you. It is Medicaid. It is the government's idea of providing health care for people at a certain income level. That's the single biggest driver of state debt. Do you think that a public option is going to be a plan that people will want to be on? The only way that happens is if they're getting a much better deal. They're getting much more out of it than they pay into it. And that's going to drive up the cost of health care for everyone else because you're going to be subsidizing that public option, just like your taxes currently pay for Medicaid. So that's one thing. They'll definitely do that. I mean, that's a given. There'll be environmental policies. There'll be an increase in the corporate tax rate to whatever it will be, 28 percent or 30 percent or who knows, which means that you'll see a decline in the stock market. You'll see a decline in your 401ks. Hiring will go down just at a point when we could see a major economic recovery. And we can tell based on what's already happened this year under Trump that there is a lot of cash on the sidelines or a lot of people just waiting just waiting for that green light for the economy to open back up again post-COVID. And there'll be a flurry, a frenzy of productive wealth creation for Americans all across the country. That can happen. But if you have these Democrats able to do whatever they want without Republicans having a majority in any, uh, in any aspect of the rulemaking and implementing part of the government, right? If, if they have the White House and the Congress all locked up, they're going to do whatever they want. So those are things that will absolutely happen. And then we get into the what could happen. Then we get into the what if things get really bad. And for that, I would just bring you to the long term structural changes that Democrats can go for right away. They are already talking about and they're still doing it, going right into an election here. They're talking about statehood for D.C. and Puerto Rico, which would add four United States senators, which means they're going to have a Senate majority for the next, let's say, decade or two. And that's really just baked into the cake. That's all done. If they do that, uh, they're going to try to pack the courts. They will. I shouldn't say try. They will pack the courts with activists. They'll pack the courts with people who think that you should say amen and a women. You know it. They'll pack the courts with social justice warriors, with those who are so brainwashed by wokeness and political correctness that the law will not matter because they see a greater justice in diversity and inclusion efforts than anything actually written in statute or the Constitution. They'll, they'll have judges that reject science while claiming to embrace it on issues of the right to life in the womb. They'll, they'll put judges forward that will make sure that your liberty is is only at the whim of the state. There's no freedom. There's no protection that you have when some Democrat demagogue comes along and says, oh, but this is really important. Oh, but covid means that the Constitution no longer counts. The left is all on board with an ideology of the eradication of your rights when they think it's convenient, when they think it's necessary. There is no right that you have that the state cannot violate, including just the right to a fair trial, the right to not be detained for no reason. The most basic kinds of justice are under assault in the covid era. You have things like the bill in New York state. Well, they'll be able to detain you because you're considered a public health risk. Who determines whether you're a public health risk? The people in charge. How do you even get to fight that? You don't. They can just take you now. Well, whatever happened to habeas corpus, whatever happened to due process, Democrats are abandoning all this, but we're not paying attention to that as a country, are we? 
No, no, we're supposed to focus on Trump's phone call in Georgia. Oh, my gosh, impeach him again. Impeach him for what exactly? The president believes that the election was stolen from him. He thinks that Raffensperger is an incompetent buffoon, and he is. So he doesn't trust Raffensperger's word when he says, oh, no, you have the wrong numbers. And once again, they're telling us the president, because of what he said on a phone call, should be impeached and I suppose removed because it's never enough for them. It wouldn't be enough even if Trump were removed from office at this very late stage and then prosecuted. They would still feel like Trump got off easy. And this is what we are up against with these Democrats. And it's why I want to tell you in the same way that Trump turned around the idea of fake news on the lib media, one of the great things about Trumpism has been his willingness, his ability, his tenacity in fighting back against the fake news media. He turned the term around on them and they absolutely hated it. Because remember, in the early days, they were saying that fake news was the only reason people wanted to vote for Donald Trump. It's because Trump voters were such uh, such easily fooled imbeciles that they could see things on the Internet that weren't true and say, yeah, I'm going to vote for Trump. That was what fake news was supposed to be. Then Trump said, no, you, the mainstream media, you are the fake news. You lie. You lie about things and pretend that you are the truth tellers, which makes it even worse. And they hated that. They hated it because he turned it around. Well, I say that we borrow from them once again. It is time for the hashtag resistance. And this will drive them mad. Remember this in the beginning, the very earliest days of the Trump presidency. They said that they were going to resist and there were explicit comparisons between the French, the the resistance, fighting against occupied Nazi uh, rule. That was what they were trying. They're trying to create this uh, comparison between them and the fighters of fascism. Well, this time around, when we know who the true fascist impulse comes from, where we know who the real authoritarians are, the Democrat Party and the left, I say we take a page from their playbook. We resist at every stage. The Senate would give us a very powerful tool in that process, but also Trump appointed judges should hold to the law because by doing that, they'll be sufficiently problematic for the authoritarian left. And so, therefore, that will become another avenue of resistance. We resist, and this Georgia Senate battle today is an important piece in all of that. If we have a Senate majority, we're able to stifle, stymie, hobble the agenda of Biden-Harris and the left-wing libs. We can effectively make them inept, more so than they would already be. That's what's at stake today. I certainly hope that anybody listening to this in Georgia, and I know there are many of you, I certainly hope that people listening to this who are legally able to and still can vote, and we're expecting massive turnout today from Republicans. Early voting tends to go the Democrats' way, but this time around I'm hoping Republicans show just what turnout on Election Day really means. The stakes are indeed very high. They're high for you. The Georgia Senate seats in play right now will determine how much money you have in your bank account at some level a year from now. It will determine what kind of health care options you have, what kind of environmental regulations you live under. 
and perhaps whether or not you can even have the option of voting for a Republican Party that has a realistic shot of taking back power at the national level. Those are the kind of things that are on the ballot, as they say. The radicalism of the left needs to be defeated. And at a minimum, at a minimum, we need to have tools like a Senate majority and an emboldened Republican base that's willing to continue this fight no matter what happens in the Trump reelection recount battle. Those are the stakes, friends. That's what we're up to today. We'll continue to look very closely at all aspects of this fight. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Tomorrow, each of you is going to vote in one of the most important runoff elections of the history of our country. Frankly, forget about runoff. One of the most important elections, really. It's really not runoff. It's elections because uh, it's a biggie. Our country is... Depending on you, the whole world is watching the people of Georgia tomorrow and you got to swamp them because everything's so crooked around. I mean, not and not here. They were saying, oh, he's complaining about Georgia. No, no, I'm complaining about eight different states. Uh, And I think we're going to win them all. Says he's going to win them all. But let's focus on what he's saying first here about the Senate race. It is absolutely critical for the reasons we're outlining it. And and with Ossoff and, and Warnock, you do have quite a. Uh, quite a duo of Democrats who are really representative of the ideological trajectory of, of that party right now. I mean, Ossoff, I mean, this is a guy who what is well, why should John Ossoff be a United States senator? What exactly has he done? He's done a little bit of uh, staff work for somebody else in the House, and uh, he's rich because of who dad is. Well, that's not particularly impressive. But the left loves this guy. So that tells you a lot, doesn't it? And then you have Mr. Or Mr. Raphael Warnock, uh, the Reverend Raphael Warnock, who is a doctrinaire leftist uh, who says what he needs to say in order to appeal to his favored constituencies. And what would he do? Well, they'll do whatever the Democrat left wants them to. It's not even really clear in any way, what they uh, would push for on their own, they're going to be functionaries uh, largely if they win in the Democrat machine. But that's all they have to be. They just have to go along with it. And there's the Republican candidates in this case who are, let's just be honest, not particularly strong. They're good enough. They're far better than these Democrats. And good heavens, please don't let me giving you a little bit of honesty here, dissuade any of you in Georgia from going out there and casting your vote for these two candidates. But Leffler uh, has done okay. And Purdue is also uh, okay. <laughs> you know, you really look at them and say, okay, well, but they're Republicans and they will at least support policies that will be better off for the rest of us, whether Democrats realize it or not. But Trump is clearly upset as well at what's going on in the state of Georgia. And this is a big problem. Uh, this is Georgia, friends. This is not some place that we thought we'd be having these kinds of troubles. So Democrats, there, there's the immediate power issue here of control of the Senate and also Trump continuing to contest the, uh, the outcome in Georgia. But then there's the what does this place look like? What does the state of Georgia look like in two years? What does it look like in four years? This is a 
in the center of the South, trending blue state. And we have to look at why that is and what's going on. And you have to think that the GOP state apparatus is not doing a particularly impressive job at all. And Governor Kemp in particular, who just barely beat Stacey. Remember Stacey Abrams, the fake governor of Georgia? Uh, Just Kemp barely beat her. Uh, Trump is unhappy with Kemp to the point where he's already threatening to campaign against him. Play 15. I'll be here in about a year and a half campaigning against your governor, I guarantee you that. I shouldn't say this. I shouldn't say this because... I just don't want you to tell anybody outside of this room other than the millions of people. No, but, you know, I endorsed him. He was in last place. And I endorsed him. He went to first place very, like, immediately. And then he won the primary. And then I gave him a couple of rallies, which I don't like doing for other people. I was telling Kevin, I don't do rallies for other people. I do them for me, right? The president has had the incredible ability to pass his support to other people. You know, Obama, as popular as he was among Democrats, his popularity did not translate to others. When Trump shows up and says, this is my guy or gal, it tends to really move the needle in in impressive ways. And that may continue on. We'll see. Uh, We'll have to look and watch for what the president's next moves will be. He, He very clearly has no interest in uh, going quietly into the night. We know that much. And he's saying that he's continuing to contest this election. But right now, we got to spend the next, uh, the next, you know, let's see, 12 hours, friends, all that really matters, all that really matters uh, for, the, for the rest of, of today, going into tonight, uh, well, just say the rest of today, forget about the 12 hours, uh, is that we get this Georgia election done and we get these two Senate seats. Everybody out there, Team Buck Georgia, go vote. Tell your friends to vote. Stay in line once you're in line. It's all on you, my friends. Godspeed. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. What has gone wrong with the rollout of the vaccine that we've seen phone lines jammed, websites crashed? There's a lot of demand. I mean, I think at the end of the day, excuse me, excuse me. If I could finish my question. You just said what has gone wrong, so I'm answering the question. If I could complete the question, though. So are you going to give a speech or are you going to answer, ask a question? With all due respect, Governor, You asked the question, I'm going to answer it. I'm trying to finish my question. No, you're you're giving a speech. You asked the question. I am trying to ask you the... You're going to ask how many questions? You get three? They only got one question. Why do you get three? With all due respect, Governor, I'm just asking if I could finish my question. You didn't. You finished the question. I did not. My full question is what went wrong with the rollout of the vaccine when we've seen phone lines jammed, websites So you're repeating your question. To complete it for you, Governor, we've seen websites crash and also senior citizens waiting overnight for the vaccine. Where was that at? We've seen it in Duval, Broward, Orange, and Lee County. And why was, like, in Lee, why did that happen? Did you investigate that's, why? That's my question to you, Governor. You're the governor of the state. I'm not the governor of the state. Okay, but you didn't investigate why that happened like in Lee County. Why, why was there a big line? Did you, did you investigate why? 
Could you tell us because why? Because we, we distributed vaccine to hospitals, and, and the hospital said, first come, first serve. If you show up, we'll do it. So they didn't use a registration system. There wasn't anything that was done, and there's a lot of demand for it. So people are going to want to so go ahead and, uh, no and get it. So there was no plan then from the state to make sure that senior citizens didn't wait outside overnight? So the state is not dictating to hospitals how, we're not dictating to Carlos Magoya how he runs his operations here. That would be a total disaster. These guys are much more competent to be able to deliver health care services than a state government could ever be. Knockout from Ron DeSantis against a, a CNN fake news journal. I've never seen that one before, but there she was. I, I, I like I like this. Republicans have to do this when you're up against a 95 percent Democrat media, when you're up against a a news uh, a news apparatus that will do everything in its power to help one side and to crush you, to attack you all the time. You've got to take every opportunity to point out the bias because otherwise they get what they want and they win. So you've got to say, hold on a second. Why? Why is the premise of your question based in the failures of the state? And you want to do some long rambling speech? Look, she wanted her MSNBC moment. Well, she got her Fox News moment, perhaps. She wanted to be able to attack Ron DeSantis, who has been the best governor of a large populous state in the country at handling COVID. All right. People vote with their feet. The numbers don't lie. When you see the top places where Americans are moving, and this is from there's a U-Haul in the big moving company. They put out their data. Uh, there's there's other moving companies that have done the same. Where is everybody going right now? All right. We've been in a crisis. States are doing different things. And this is the way it's supposed to be, right? States are able to pursue their own pathways to deal with a crisis like this. And where where are people fleeing and where are people showing up? Well, they're leaving in unprecedented numbers, at least in modern history, you know, New York, California, New Jersey. They're leaving big blue enclaves, right? The heart of the Democrat uh, financial you know, money and political power infrastructure. They're saying this is just crazy. Where are they going? Florida, Tennessee, South Carolina, North Carolina, either somewhat red or very red states, but also states that have low or no income tax, states that have been more open during the covid pandemic. Ron DeSantis has been basically running one big move here. It's better ad during all of this. And to uh, to our, our listeners um, in in the Miami area and and in the Tampa area, we got to WFLA and WIOD to our listeners down in the Florida area. We, we would just say congratulations for uh, already being down there. <laughs> good job. Uh, good job. So I've just got to tell you, I'm I'm um, amazed that the broader perception hasn't shifted faster here. Uh, you see, everyone's going to places that are doing a better job with this. They're fleeing the places that the media pretends. Gavin Newsom and Governor and, and Governor Cuomo, Governors Newsom and Cuomo are a disaster, an absolute disaster. And all the data shows it. You got twenty two thousand dead in uh, in Florida from covid with two million more in population. You've got over thirty thousand. And now I think it's like thirty three or thirty four thousand dead in New York. That's a lot more. 
That's a much bigger death toll. And, and Florida has an even higher percentage of seniors. Remember, the, the biggest vulnerability group is senior citizens. You'd think that Florida would have been hit worse than anybody by this, but no. And in terms of uh, in terms of deaths per capita, they're essentially in the middle of the pack. But understand this. They're in the middle of the pack for a, for a state that has a lot of uh, pretty dense cities and also for a state that hasn't been closed down. The closed down state should be they, they should be able to point the lockdown states should be able to point at more open states and say, oh, my gosh, look at what a terrible job you've done. Look at how much better off we are. Not going to do that in California right now. California is having its worst ever period of covid cases. Los Angeles hospitals, according to the Daily Mail, have suffered a one thousand percent spike in admissions because of covid and ambulances have been told to stop transporting patients with little chance of survival. Now, Los Angeles was held up as a model for all of us, and I, I think we we need to remember this. Los Angeles and California, they were see we wear masks, unlike you dumb Trump supporters, which isn't even true. People all across the country wearing masks. But they had this belief that the only people that don't wear masks are Trump supporters, and therefore they were really uh, they're really horrible about this, too. You know, it, it was our it was our fault when any, when anyone on the right got sick. It was it was our problem. That we had created. Well, what's the situation in Los Angeles? Why? Why is covid so out of control there? It has a relatively moderate climate. I mean, it's not quite Florida, but pretty close to it. Why is it so much worse off? The people that told you they knew what to do and their policies would work were wrong. They were wrong. They can deny this as much as they want. They can pretend it's not true. They were wrong. Didn't work. They can say it's because we didn't do a good enough job. They can have all the excuses they want. But at the end of the day, you know, if this if this is a war, their battle plan did not succeed. All right. The generals need to get fired. That's what's happening in California. Meanwhile, in, in Florida, yes, it's not perfect. Obviously, there are a lot of people who are getting sick and a, and, a, and a lot of people who are dying in Florida from COVID, but that's happening everywhere. But Florida is still open. And Ron DeSantis isn't going to sit there and have a CNN reporter do a speech in the, you know, do a speech under the guise of a question to basically be why you're doing such a bad job with the vaccine rollout. Have you seen such an aggressive question posed by any CNN journalist? to Governor Cuomo ever, particularly about his disastrous COVID response? No, of course not, because this is all important to the overall narrative. There, there's a broad narrative here of who is better at handling this public health challenge, the same way that we would have this on issues of national security. Do you trust Democrats or Republicans more on national security? For a long time, it was a huge, clear favorite of Republicans, and then it balanced out a little bit after some of the Mideast wars and uh, but I think it would still be I'd have to check the most recent polls. Republicans tend to have an advantage there. Well, on who do you trust to do a better job in a pandemic? They've blamed Trump for all this. But really, you have to look at this on a state by state level. And Republican states are doing better in their fight against covid than Democrat than large Democrat states are. And now I know one of the highest uh, deaths per capita states, for example, is Massachusetts, where you have a technically Republican governor, but it's a Democrat state overwhelmingly democrat voters 
and the Dem- and the politicians that have power there are, you know, and it's this guy is not like some Trump supporting Republican either. He's kind of a, a fakey Republican, you know. But you look at the places that have had the worst, worst results, New York, Michigan, New Jersey, Massachusetts, now California. Really bad results from this. And the media can't allow this to be a widespread recognition. They can't allow people to figure out, hold on a second. I thought Democrats were the science people and they wear masks. So it's all so much better. Why is it so much worse in their states? They probably argue about population density, which is that is a reasonable point to make. But that doesn't explain the full disparity. Look at Texas. Look at Florida. Where would you have rather been during this uh, during this pandemic? And it's states that are more red, even with even with large cities, even with huge populations. You'd rather be in a state that's more red. And then you also have the growth of the tyranny mindset among Democrats. Do you you know that in New York right now, there's there's a bill that has been in circulation that would allow Governor Cuomo to just detain people who are believed to be a public health risk. Let, let me get into this, because these details, this is chilling. And if they can do it in New York, trust me, they're going to want to do it in California. There are other places they'll try this as well. And if you think the federal government under a Biden administration is going to try to step in and protect your basic constitutional rights, you're in for a surprise. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. I think one of the biggest things I learned, and I say this as a neurosurgeon, uh, you know, someone who, who operates on people uh, who are in the worst of situations often, is that, is that science cannot rescue us from ourselves. Um, we can have these incredible breakthroughs, and we will, in vaccines and therapeutics and new forms of testing. I mean, it is really just remarkable to see, and I think we will be a different world as a result of the medical innovation that we have seen this year. But if we don't lean into the basic health practices, um, they make such a big difference. I mean, even now, 100 years after the, the great pandemic of 1918, the same things made the biggest difference. Wearing masks, keeping distance, washing hands. We can talk about mRNA vaccines and all those things, but washing hands and wearing a mask makes as big a difference. It doesn't sound as, as neat or as fancy, but it can make such a huge impact. And it's something I, I, will, I will now always remind my patients of. I want you to be very clear with this. Here you have the CNN's favorite on-air doctor, Dr. Gupta, telling you that washing hands and wearing masks uh, is as important as a vaccine. Does, does anybody really believe that? I know there are people who have been brainwashed, but, but think about that for a second. The vaccine is 95% effective. So how, how are we supposed to take this? Hand washing and mask wearing is 95% effective. Well, then explain California to me, Doc. Oh, this was all so obvious. It was so obvious that at the very beginning of this, all these so-called experts were telling us they know the history. They know about the pandemic of 1918. At the beginning, they're saying, no, nah, I don't wear masks. That's, that's how obvious this was in medicine. Right? But they're, they just doesn't matter. They just keep saying it. What are they going to do? Admit that they've been wrong this whole time about really important stuff? No, they're never going to do that. So they tell you that we can't save us from ourselves. You didn't do a good enough job. That's that's the takeaway you're supposed to have. 
Yeah, masks and hand hand washing. Really? Show me that. Show me the hand washing as a means of stopping COVID data. I'm just curious. Show me that data. Prove that one to me. Stop telling me. Prove it to me. Oh, but, you know, we did this study where people said they thought they washed more hands and because they washed more hands, maybe they thought, no, no, I want proof. Like I'm going to inject something in my arm that's going to save my life kind of proof. Not, oh, I think if you wash your hands, maybe theoretically it could help prevent some tiny percentage of spread, which when played out hundreds of millions of times over the course of a month may result in, you know, how many fewer cases, a handful, who knows? This is what they're saying. That's right. It was all about masks. You see, the whole time, that's all we needed. Oh, wow. Okay. So somehow mask compliance goes up dramatically, 97% in a lot of these states. And yet we're having the worst outbreaks we've ever had. Worse than when nobody was wearing masks, really, or very few people. Explain that to me. Make that make sense. Oh, and they come up with all these. And, and then their explanation, you say, well, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> that, that's not true. And then you say, shut up, science. That's what they do. While that's all happening, you have things like New York Bill A416. Now, I know for those of you who are listening in other states all across the country, you're probably thinking, well, this isn't my problem. Hmm. Uh, remember, I told you the stuff you're seeing in New York, the crazy lockdowns, the, uh, the, the nonsense that we're all being put through in New York City, uh, that is now replicated in many other Democrat cities and states across the country. So get ready for stuff like this. New York Bill A416, it would give the governor the ability to imprison or deport anyone he says is a public health threat. But not only is this now, this is detaining people without without trial. Now, I know they're going to say, oh, but it's, but, you know, it's like quarantine. Yeah, taking quarantine powers for sick people for things, you know, for if somebody has smallpox or somebody has Ebola, that's one thing. But this is quarantine powers for, well, we think there's the possibility you may be sick with COVID, even though you feel fine and the tests are too sensitive, but we can still lock you up. This is from the bill. This is from the text of the bill. Quote, upon determining by clear and convincing evidence that the health of others may be endangered by a case contact or carrier or suspected case contact or carrier of a contagious disease that in the opinion of the governor may pose an imminent and significant threat to the public uh, public health resulting in high mortality. The governor or of, or his or her delegee, including local health department commissioners, may order the removal and or detention of such a person or group of person, persons by issuing a single order. That's right. The governor or any health department official or anyone else that he designates can lock you up, can detain you because they think you are a health threat. Oh, but this won't be abused, right? This won't be used to get compliance. Really? Speak out against lockdowns? Refuse to wear your mask? You got to get locked up. You're a threat to public health. Don't you see how this is playing out? Don't you see the threat to your freedom and to your liberty from this? It's not just in New York. This is the Democrat mentality nationwide. It's not a question of whether they want to do this. It's do they have the power to implement this kind of authoritarian insanity because they want to. 
Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's check in with our friend John Cardillo. He is a former NYPD officer, now a Florida resident, which comes into much of our discussion these days, and also a TV host, radio host, and a commentator on the right. My friend, Mr. Cardillo, good to see you again. Great to see you, Buck. How's everything going? I'm good, man. You know, you you were one of the original voices, kind of the, the, the with the siren call of make your way down to Florida. It's nice here. I've already lost. Uh, I've lost two of my brothers. I think they're never coming back. They, they're now they're now Florida guys. They love the flip flops, the beautiful weather, the right of center politics. I know there's still some big blue areas, yep. but they're they're having a good time. Um, I, what was. What was just your, your, your thought when you saw Governor DeSantis dealing with uh, that CNN reporter, which, she, you know, she's doing the classic CNN thing. Let me just explain. Let yeah. me do an editorial of your failure and then just sort of drop that in front of you and, and let you sit there and, and fumble around with it. The way that DeSantis handled that question, given his record this year in governing, makes me think maybe this guy's got even bigger plans. You know, Buck, I have I was critical of Ron DeSantis early on this year when, when COVID first became a thing, right? And I have never been happier to be dead wrong about a politician, especially a Republican conservative. I tweeted today after watching him, he took down Rosa Flores from CNN for that moronic question. Basically, she was trying to set him up saying, Well, why is it that hospitals in Lee County, Florida, that's the Fort Myers area, have these crazy crowds outside? Why is there no system in place? And she had started to ask the question and then wanted to pontificate like these left-wing reporters do. Just, I'm, I'm throwing this out there for the viewers, reference point. And DeSantis just cut her off. He said, first of all, he said, look, basically said, you're testifying. You're not asking a question. You're asking three questions in one. Everybody else got one. But what I loved was his answer. He said, the state doesn't dictate how hospitals administer the vaccine. The state's going to get the vaccine to the hospital. And then he specifically pointed out a healthcare executive. He was at Jackson Health, which is a big facility down in Miami. And he pointed the guy out, mentioned his name and said, they know how to do what they do, hospitalization and healthcare, far better than the state does. If the state does it, it's a disaster. And his answer in Lee County was that the hospital in Lee County at Fort Myers area hospital said, first come, first serve, we've got the vaccine. There was great demand and people crowded it. Well, she tried to blame it on him. And he said, hey, look, we're not gonna tell, the state is not gonna tell hospitals how to administer healthcare. I think Ron DeSantis, there should be mandatory training with Ron DeSantis on how to handle hostile leftist media for Republican politicians at this point. He's doing a great job. Yeah. And I also have noticed that a game that the the lib media likes to play where if you if you let the decision making, if you put the decision making in the hands of the experts and it's it's you know, there's there are problems. It's not wrong. You you have uh, you know, you've abdicated leadership. What's wrong with you? But if you decide that you as the you know executive branch official at the state level or even at the federal level are going to make the final call, it's why aren't you listening to the experts? Right? You can't win either way. Nah, it's a lose lose for the look. They, CNN, MSNBC, The New York Times, The Washington Post. Ideologically, they cannot bring themselves to admit that the private sector and the free market exists, let alone does things right, let alone has the right to do things. So to them, it is it is utterly perplexing. They're befuddled when a politician points to a business executive and says, hey, 
That guy knows how to do his job far better than we in government do. If, if we in government did it, it's a disaster. That's, that's horrific. That's horrific. That's like the torture of puppies to the mainstream media. I mean, they, they can't think of a more terrifying concept than giving the private sector the freedom to operate. We're speaking to John Cardillo, former NYPD and a conservative commentator. John, by the time people hear this, they may have a, a little bit more info than we do on on Georgia. But but just going into this big day today, what are your thoughts? How are you feeling about this? Obviously, big stakes. You know, big stakes. I'm just shocked. I am absolutely shocked at the Trafalgar poll. Now, Trafalgar Associates has been one of the better polling firms. Robert Cahaley, who runs it. A uh, good guy, very reputable guy. One of the few traditional pollsters I'll actually uh, give credence to. It is absolutely mind-blowing to me, Buck, that Raphael Warnock, with his history of racist statements, anti-Semitic statements, blocking a child abuse investigation at his camp, to which the Georgia Bureau of Investigation Investigators, one of the most professional law enforcement agencies in this country, said they'd never seen obstruction like that to his wife's allegations about abuse, that this guy is polling a point ahead of the Republican, that John Ossoff, a, a Hollywood transplant into Georgia. So I don't know if it says that the Republican Party has dropped the ball on grassroots. I don't know if it says they didn't spend enough money or if fraud is just that rampant. And people like Stacey Abrams have done a good job combining that fraud with outreach, especially in minority communities. But I'll tell you one thing, it shouldn't be. The Republicans in Georgia should be up by six, seven, eight points. And we need to do a really, really thorough postmortem on how the Republican Party from the GOP to the National Republican Senatorial Committee, these fundraising entities, have operated throughout this election cycle. I, I think it's abysmal that we're where we are. And, and I'm concerned that we might lose the Senate. We might wake up tomorrow to Leader Schumer. But even more concerning, Buck, last point on this, why are we now being told yet again that we might not have the results of this election tonight, that it might take weeks. What is this new precedent where we can't count an election on election day? And you've got the Georgia Secretary of State Raffensperger acting very petty, acting questionably. He was interviewed by Martha McCallum on Fox, and his answer seemed like it was a, it was a grudge match against him and David Perdue. Something really isn't right in Georgia and I believe that this is going to be Brian Kemp and Raffensperger's last term in politics. I don't think either one of them survives a primary in 22. And what do you think about the president's uh, continued, what do we call it now? I mean, he's he's not conceding, he said last night at the rally. We've got Senator Ted Cruz along with, I believe, 10, no, more than 10 now, because Leffler said that she would also, uh, you know, if, if she is able to, she would also... Uh, stand with the president on this one um or she will i mean she's already said that she'll do that because i guess it'll happen uh <laughs> this week um so what exactly what do, what do you think happens as a result of this demand for the 10 days of further investigation into the presidential election vote situation in georgia i think i i hope something will happen i don't think anything's going to happen look the democrats have the majority Right. So back in 2016, I think it was six or seven Democratic senators objected to Donald Trump's election. Donald Trump was inaugurated on January 20th. I don't you know. Boring. I mean, I mean, the Hiroshima, the, the, the you know, the uh, fat man and little boy nuke level of evidence that would be required to overturn this. Barring that coming to light today and tomorrow. 
that would force our entire judicial system, DOJ, the courts, Congress into action. I don't see anything changing the outcome. And unfortunately, I think we're going to endure a Joe Biden presidency for a little while than a Kamala Harris presidency until 2024. Because if they had if this smoking gun evidence existed, if this nuke level evidence existed, I, it would have been presented already. DC leaks like a sieve. You and I are in this business. We know how that goes. It wouldn't have been under wraps. I, I think the awareness is great. I love that a few million people are showing up in DC tomorrow. I think we could shine a bright light on election fraud. We can make some changes in the party, more America first people. But but I just don't see the results of this election changing. I'm, I'm disappointed because I really do believe, and I know you do too, and we've talked offline about this extensively, that there were there were intentional uh, distortions and essentially subversions of the electoral process by Democrats in this election year so that it would be very easy to commit fraud and also, and this is the critical point, very hard to prove it. That said, I also think that, you know, they, they needed, we, we needed a, a clear bright red line caught fraud moments in this to blow the whole thing open and i I, i'm not even willing to it's not that i don't think that happened john but the inability to find that and i know it's a you know it's a short period of time everything else you you just it's not what you know it's what you can prove that's right yeah look i mean you and i have agreed on this for months we spoke about it we saw each other last week at dinner we spoke about this uh, the problem is that I'm going to place blame right here and I'm going to name names. The Republican National Committee and GOP chairwoman Ronna Romney McDaniel. They sat on hundreds of millions of dollars for two years. They were warned about voter fraud. Memos were generated them a year ago when the election was really in full swing. They did nothing. They did nothing until the president deployed lawyers on election night, not even election night, the next morning at about 5 a.m. It's when he really weaponized and actionized Rudy Giuliani to put a legal team in place. The RNC could have had a preemptive legal strategy. They could have had mathematicians, statisticians, litigators, election law experts, constitutional scholars. They should have had all that in place for the last year. They were born for two years. They saw Russiagate. They saw the nonsense, the impeachment sham. They did nothing. They raised about a quarter billion dollars for this legal effort to fight election fraud, they spent about $4 million of it. Where is that, the rest of that quarter billion? So I squarely put this on the shoulders of the RNC. They should have been in front of this. They should have been proactive. They, they were, and they handed, they handed the White House to Joe Biden, because I'm with you. There was glaring, rampant electoral fraud. But we had to prove it. You know, we had we had we had these meetings and hearings. And, yeah. and you know, we're sitting here saying, OK, and, and ultimately... Uh, it just feels like yet another there was the the miss, you know, there was the the whiff at bat, uh, so to speak, leading up to Election Day. And then afterwards, maybe it was asking too much because of all the stuff that happened before. But they, they had to get it together. And it just feels like they weren't able to pull that off. And I, I just want to ask you this. John, well, you run a clock. We... You know, Buck, filings, court filings take a while. The other side can run the clock. It was ludicrous to start this effort after election day giving us two months to do it should have been a year down the road georgia was filing lawsuits in georgia a month ago for the special election before the special election they weren't waiting till the morning of january 6th the democrats john do you think that there's a, a hope or, or what do you what do you want the republican machinery 
of and I'm just going to say it. I think we should take the term resistance back from them now. You know, we, we should use it and, and, and turn it around in their faces. Like, OK, now we're the hashtag resistance. And we'll see how much we have to do with that, depending on on what the final outcome here is on the Senate side. But uh, well, do you think that they can put more America first, more more MAGA type people in roles at the RNC or or is the old GOP? Is this like the Empire Strikes Back? What's going to happen? It's a great question. I mean, I'll tell you, I've been very vocal about it. I'm working overtime to try to uh, help gut that place. That, and that's a swamp of swamps. I think one of the things that needs to happen, I know the president likes you. He's a fan of yours. We know that. He said so publicly. If the president does happen to see this, I'll say, Mr. President, rescind your endorsement of Rana Romney McDaniel. Gut the RNC, RNC leadership on your way out the door and understand it's your party. Remake it in your America first image. Take that party over out the door. That's the only way he needs to rescind. One of the biggest mistakes Donald Trump made was endorsing Ronna McDaniel for another term as RNC chairwoman. She is not an ally. She's done nothing. In fact, she and her ilk, they despise America first. But I will tell you this, Buck, I've had a lot of meetings. You and I have spoken about this offline with very high net worth, former RNC mega donors who will never give the RNC another penny. They'd rather donate directly to candidates or to entities that'll be a thorn, America first entities that'll be a thorn in the, in the side of the RNC. John Cardillo, everybody, uh, follow him on social, on Twitter, if you're not already, and uh, keep an eye out for some things he's got coming this year. John, my friend, good to have you. Always great to see you, Bob. Thanks. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. I didn't know it was being recorded. Uh, I just was at my home uh, with my wife, and I had it on speakerphone, but I didn't record anything at my house. Uh, but uh, I was making notes. Uh, but also then on Sunday morning, he put out a Twitter. I thought we had a private conversation, just no, not left unsaid. It was private, but I saw it was man-to-man just having a conversation. And, uh, you know, and so with the president of the United States. But then he goes out on Twitter the next morning and says stuff that's not true. First of all, he, he releases that we did have a conversation. So I didn't see what the issue was. And obviously, we did have a conversation. The whole world knows. Uh, he's got 80 million Twitter followers. He does indeed. But who then recorded the conversation? Georgia Secretary of State Raffensperger. Who, who, was, the person be- who was the person behind this? Can't we get an answer to that? Can you can you tell us? Uh, and, and why aren't you more uh, disconcerted if you really want us to believe you didn't know it was being recorded? That somebody else recorded a call you have with the president of the United States and released. It. I mean, come on, folks. Right. This is this is honestly, as we, as we sit here, we're thinking about the future of Georgia that someone like this guy could be in such a prominent role in that state government. You're seeing now, you know, it's not just it's not just about the presidency. It's not just about the Congress. There's there are state level politicians who can play a national level role. And if they're a bunch of bozos, you got a problem. Raffensperger also claiming that if Trump hadn't said something that was not true, he would have stayed silent. Play uh, play five. If the president hadn't tweeted and tweeted something that was false, would we have ever heard that call recording? No, it was a private conversation as far as I was concerned. And uh, he broke privacy when he put out a tweet. 
but then his tweet was false. Was there any agreement that this call was not going to be recorded or would be kept confidential? No, there was no agreement, and we didn't know what the purpose of the call really was. We, we assumed it was about the November election, really Wednesday. If President Trump wouldn't have tweeted out anything and would have stayed silent, we would have stayed silent as well. And that would have just been a conversation between him and I, man to man, and that would have been just fine with us. But he's the one that couldn't, you know, had to put it out on Twitter. And so if you're going to put out stuff that we don't believe is true, then we will respond in kind. I don't know about this one, uh, Raffensperger. I don't think that was a very good move. But I, I also would note that there's a story out there that Trump had to call 18 times because the interns. It, I, I feel like this this was one of these stories I read. I thought there's no way that really happened. Right. But apparently, I mean, I don't know. I wasn't there. Trump was treated as a prank caller. This is according to the Daily Mail 18 times by Brad Raffensperger's interns before he finally got through to demand the Georgia Secretary of State find 11,780 votes. <sighs> 18. I mean, forget about the votes. We already know that they was, oh, it's treason. How could he do this? 18 times he had to call. Really? I mean, who, who wouldn't really recognize? I know there's some good impersonators out there. Probably the best impersonators, the very best. But I, I know there's some people who are really talented at doing the Trump voice and all that. You wouldn't know if the president called. I mean, even for an intern, you, you couldn't figure that one out. Can you imagine having to call somebody? You're the president of the United States. You have to call back 18 times. Uh, Chief of Staff Mark Meadows is the one who had to get on the phone to actually make it happen the press office interns uh really didn't believe that it was trump so if you're wondering about the competency of this guy and his operation i i think that's a pretty good indicator of what we're dealing with here this is somebody the georgia secretary of state he is a republican unfortunately the georgia secretary of state is such a buffoon that when the president of the united states wants to speak to him it requires 18 separate phone calls just to get through this is who we're counting on to figure out what really happened in the election not good thanks for listening to the bus sex and show podcast remember to subscribe on apple podcast the iHeartRadio radio app or wherever you get your podcasts you know i know we all we all got our doubts about the last election and i want to assure you i share the concerns of millions of americans about voting irregularities and i promise you come this wednesday We'll have our day in Congress. We'll hear the objections. We'll hear the evidence. We're going to hear those objections and hear the evidence. And that's a good thing. People should know. And we should be we should air all this out. And there should be no problem with this. The people who are telling you that this is some kind of a constitutional travesty have neither read nor care about the Constitution. So don't listen to them. Their opinion on this should be irrelevant to you. This is completely within established order. There's nothing about this that should be upsetting. It's not martial law. It's not destroying our democracy. It's telling people what we found so far and raising questions that have either been unanswered or only partially answered about something that's really important. You'll notice that this is all very plausible. You know, we're not talking about when, and when I say this is plausible, not everything that's being said about the election is. But what you're going to hear from people like Ted Cruz, what you're going to hear from 
uh, other senators who are going to stand alongside him and raise their objections, they'll bring up the very real election fraud concerns and questions. And and hopefully we'll stay away from the release, the crack in, you know, international conspiracy of CIA ninjas craziness that's been out there, because as, I, as I've been telling you, that's been really useful for undermining the very real election fraud questions. Right. The crazy town stuff makes it harder for the rest of us to push and and communicate to the public uh, to push for answers and communicate to the public about what really happened. That is concerning. I still have not heard a single person, for example, just in the state of Georgia. I haven't heard a single person come up with a plausible explanation for how it is a hundred times. It was a hundred times less likely for a mail in ballot to be disqualified because of you know, legal reasons disqualified this time compared to the last time yeah a hundred times less that seems like a noteworthy thing isn't it you have far more people doing the mail-in process but far fewer rejections of those votes that's i just want to know how that happened i want to know how my friend sean parnell says that there were more votes cast than eligible voters in the state of pennsylvania is that or is that not what occurred sean is a, a straight up squared away guy and I, I he's an honorable guy and i trust him and he's my friend and you all know that and he's telling me that something doesn't smell right i i believe sean when he says something doesn't smell right but he can't get answers every time he tries to get a court they go sorry election's over shut up go away those are real questions those are real problems but you notice the democrats they they just are going to use the power they have in the media to try to silence to try to Try to just uh, move on down the road with all of this. And and they're also making these outlandish claims about how illegal the president's phone call with Raffensperger was. I mean, here's <laughs> here's Ber- here's Bernie Sanders. We haven't heard from Bernie Sanders in a while. It's been a bit of time before, you know, he's out there doing the usual thing. Here he is, plane nine. Uh, it is unprecedented. It is the most... Uh, consequential attack on American democracy uh, in the history of our country. And I think your previous uh, panelist was right. This is what mafia does. And and what Trump was essentially saying to Raffensperger, the secretary of state in Georgia, is, hey, get me 12,000 votes so I can win. And if not, by the way, you know, there may be criminal action against you uh, and your uh, attorney. Uh, This is beyond outrageous this is not only impeachable it is certainly a criminal offense uh when you run for office you can't threaten uh public officials about manipulating the vote for you to win that is not what democracy is about there's no threat burn come on man in the burning the bernie sanders legal school it's a criminal offense well what's the crime exactly Everything that Trump is saying is premised upon his belief that there was fraud and his belief that there are people who are standing in the way of finding out about that fraud. And if he's right, then he's right. So what ex- what exactly is Bernie's contention with all this? What exactly is he trying to say? It's well, it's just trash Trump. I mean, that's that's clear. I, I do believe that they recognize that they will have uh, their hands full with Trump, even post Term one. I think we have to refer to Trump term one now pretty openly. And maybe you say that's too early. But what I mean is that there may still be a Trump term two. Yes, could still happen. 
Probably Donald, but maybe another Trump. You never know. That's also a possibility. Uh, personally, I think Eric Trump is a super nice guy. And if he had political aspirations, it would be very, very interesting. He doesn't get talked about as much as some of the other Trump kids. But uh, Eric Trump, every, I'll tell you that. And I'm not I'm not disparaging the any of the other Trumps. But I'm just saying everybody who knows uh, Eric Trump uh, always has the same reaction. Just a good guy. And I, I think that's the base. You know, that's my baseline. I want to know that. About, is, is someone a good guy or gal? Are they a good person? Start with that. Are they a good person? And I always hear that about Eric. I know him a little bit. I don't know him well. I actually knew him when he was a little kid, but he was so young, he probably barely even remembers me. Um, but he's he's always been thought of as a good dude. Kaylee McEnany, White House press secretary, she gave uh, a, a full-throated defense of what the president's phone call was all about. Let's get into some of that. Play six. And let me be clear, the claims the president was making, he walked through on that phone call. If you read the transcript of various tranches of ballots that he has used, publicly identified data from the U.S. Postal Service, from the Georgia Secretary of State's office to call these ballots into question. This is publicly available information. Based on this public data, it raised questions on about 24,000 ballots by a conservative estimate. And now you have the Georgia Secretary of State saying, we have our own secret numbers, but we won't show them to you, even if you sign a confidentiality agreement that should tell you all you need to know from the same person who's leaking audio his conversation with the president of the united states and his attorneys he should not be trusted we should shine daylight on these numbers that's all the president was asking for throughout the entirety of the conversation i mean it's interesting he won't reveal his numbers the same guy who secretly recorded the president of the united states and released it to the public won't release his numbers and beyond that i think we have to ask does this guy even want and, and I put aside whether that means he would do anything on this, but just do you think that Raffensperger wants Trump to win? I think the answer is very clear. And, and I mean, before this whole phone call thing. No, no, there are a lot of establishment GOP types who want Trump gone. They want the Trump approach to be forgotten. They want the whole Trump world. They want MAGA to fade into irrelevance. They want it to be this kind of outburst that lasted four years that well, what was that again what what was this maga thing that they used to talk about that is the hope of many people in the gop and the gop establishment including people who had done nothing really before that but lose to democrats the gop losers the people that just get gets you know smacked around by the obama administration and by all the people around obama all the victories that they had uh they they want to come around now and tell everybody how we win when we all remember what exactly was the what, what was the record of the establishment GOP before? I'm just going to say this. Remember, George Bush led to eight years of Obama. George Bush uh, made some good decisions. And again, I would say I think he was a, a good and well-intentioned man, but I think he was over his head sometimes. I think that's fair. I think that he wasn't the leader we needed always in the moment uh, at a point of particular danger for the country. And a lot of what happened, especially toward the end with the fallout of the economy and everything else, just led directly to a new emboldened left wing Democrat party that Obama took control of for eight years. So the establishment GOP's record for the last 20 years is a problem. And I know they'd say, oh, but look at what we did in the state houses and the state races and everything. OK, who's been winning at the national level on major issues that endure beyond any one politician or administration who's been winning not just at the supreme court but also on federal legislation and issues like obamacare 
All right, we go through the list. What, what's the huge conservative victory? And I'm just going to say it, even with Trump, what is the big legislative victory from the four years of Trump's time in office? You'll notice a bit of silence because tax cuts are good, but tax cuts are always temporary. What was the big legislative victory? Regulation cuts are good. Regulation cuts are temporary. This is the system we have. We have to understand how it actually functions. So Kaylee's saying, but back to that, Kaylee's saying that there was uh, there was nothing untoward, not surprising at all. I mean, she is, I mean, she may be the most ferocious defender of the president. I mean, maybe, uh, you know, Donald Trump Jr., but, uh, you know, that's his, that's his dad. I don't know if we could find a more ferocious defender of President Trump than Kaylee McEnany. She, she's like, the, walks into the bar and says, I'll take any man in the house, you know, rolls up her sleeves, ready to fight. Um, here she is on the numbers. Uh, I'm sorry, no, not the numbers, on the objection that should that will be raised uh, tomorrow by some senators. There's a constitutional mechanism in place, the 12th Amendment and a statute pursuant to that in the mid 1800s that says this is where you can object in Congress. This is constitutionally, statutorily prescribed. Democrats have raised objections before and Republicans grow a backbone and fight just like Senator Hawley, just like Senator Cruz, because if we don't fight for integrity now, it's not just tomorrow's race that can be affected, but every Senate race thereafter and presidential race thereafter. So fighting for the truth is something we'll never apologize for why we fight it's about what's right and she understands that the president understands that millions and tens of millions of his supporters understand that this is the process they can keep saying this is a threat to democracy they can keep saying this is uh you know destructive and evil and horrible no it's the process that we have and we are abiding by it we're not lying we're not fabricating evidence so that the fbi can turn on people we're not coming up with nonsense here and using the doj as a weapon for political purposes that's what democrats do we are abiding by the process by the letter and spirit of the law and and raising questions and objections to what happened here you're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Mentioned Josh Hawley before, and, and I, I wanted to bring this to your attention. He's, he's a, a rising star in the GOP. There's no question about that. Uh, the guy is, you know, he's uh, articulate. He's pretty young, telegenic, smart, re- really understands how to connect. Seems like he's got some real political skills. It's early in his career, but I think he's got some very big uh, I, I think he's got a big future. I think that he's somebody that we'll be thinking about a lot more in the future. And he's a U.S. He's already a U.S. senator. Um, but here here he is telling everybody and you need to hear this because the mainstream media is not going to cover this. And you should know about it tonight. This is from his uh, Twitter account tonight. This is last night in Missouri. While I'm oh, sorry tonight, while I was in Missouri, Antifa scumbags came to our place in D.C., and threatened my wife and newborn daughter who can't travel. They screamed threats, vandalized, and tried to pound open our door. Let me be clear, my family and I will not be intimidated by left-wing violence. What kind of lunatics would do this? Right? What, what kind of maniacs would be pounding on the door 
and screaming threats and, and, and insanity at a woman and a newborn infant baby because they disagree with the politics of, of somebody that they're, they're married to. Uh, harassing his wife and child is absolutely disgusting. Will the left call this out at all? Will the left say anything about this? No, in fact, and this is what's, this is what's truly just disgusting. In fact, what you'll, what you'll find is that Josh Hawley has had to blast the Washington Post because he says they printed, quote, outright lies and falsely painted Antifa violence outside his home as a peaceful vigil. I mean, unbelievable. The Washington Post reported, quote, activists staged a peaceful vigil on the sidewalk in a northern Virginia suburb. Uh, the Washington Post, the liberal paper, then said Hawley had a different description for the scene outside his family's home. The Post story was headlined with Senator Josh Hawley says Antifa scumbags terrorized his family's Virginia home. Protesters said they had a peaceful vigil. Dismissed, of course, the any wrongdoing on the part of this group. There is a 50 minute video Shared uh, shared by the group that shows protesters writing in chalk on the sidewalk, chanting through a megaphone and at one point leaving a copy of the Constitution on on Hawley's doorstep. Um, and Hawley responded to this. That's the Washington Post description. This morning, the Washington Post printed outright lies from the Antifa group who now describe themselves as sweet angels. B.S. You screamed through bullhorns, shouted down my wife when she asked you to leave, vandalized property, pounded on our door and terrorized neighbors. So the Post will will lie to defend Antifa. That's what we're up against here. Those are the kinds of things you should expect. It's been happening already, but you should expect a lot more of it over the next four years. They don't even have an impulse to be decent when it comes to an entirely, you know, a woman who's got nothing to do with any of this. She's not a politician. She's not. She's just at home with her infant baby. Well, an infant is a baby, but she's at home with her infant. And can you imagine? I mean, if my girlfriend and perhaps, you know, if my if my wife down the line were to be threatened in that way by people who disagree with me, I would be honestly overcome with rage. And and it's a good thing that. Well, I'm just going to say I would understand any any male, any red blooded American in that situation feeling like uh, they would have to really let these Antifa scumbags know what they think of them up close and personal in their faces. And then some I'll just leave it at that. But the Post will say, oh, no, it's a peaceful vigil. First of all, showing up at, at elected officials homes at night or, or at any time for that matter to uh, scream and yell and shout at them is disgusting. Forget forget about whether they think, oh, we were pe- that's all crap anyway. It's disgusting. It's something that losers do. It should not be done. It shouldn't be a part of this country. It shouldn't be a part of our democracy or our republic or whatever. But the left likes it because you know what? Ultimately, they like intimidation. Whatever they need to feel good about themselves is okay. That's how the left approaches everything. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. CNN is boring. CNN is dishonest. But occasionally, (laughs) occasionally you're like, oh, well, hold on a second. 
I actually am glad I'm, I'm uh, watching this. I, I never actually watch it live. But uh, look at this. Uh, a worthwhile CNN moment. This one is fun because they created a, a circular firing squad of three of the the dumbest, fakest Republicans imaginable. Some are just more fake than dumb. I mean, like the Mooch is not a dumb guy, but he's he's a, just a, a phony. And then there's Ana Navarro, who is both a phony and very dumb. And then there's uh, Ted Cruz's former spokesperson or something who, yeah, her job is to like go on CNN and just be like, I hate Donald Trump because he's terrible. Uh, yeah, that must be really fun. That's really that's really helping the conservative movement. That's really doing great things. I, I just want to play this for you. This is this is a lot of fun. This is on Don Lemon's show. Speaking of not particularly savvy. Uh, and this is how this went. I, I just want you to enjoy this now. The best thing I've seen or, or heard of from CNN in quite some time. Play it, producer Mark. You but he's, he's, it is stupid. It okay. is a stupid okay. trend meant to trigger. It's a, <laughs> it go? you know, you know damn well it's a whistle. Anthony, you're too smart for that. Okay. Well, he worked for Trump, so I don't know. I didn't. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Anthony, well, Amanda, you work right for here. Ted Cruz. You work for Ted Cruz, a full-on traitor. I mean, what are you talking about? You, you don't have any standing to say that. Excuse me? Excuse me, Anthony you, you Scaramucci? I remember Cruz, a you going to the traitor. cameras and praising Donald Trump to the hilt. When I worked for Ted Cruz, you want to go there? He took you didn't praise Ted Cruz stands. when you worked for him? Excuse Excuse me, what was that? You, you, you really you think I should answer you didn't praise to you Cruz about you my work history when you were Donald Trump's communications you, person willingly? Don't, don't be lost. don't be a hypocrite on national TV. Okay. I've I have owned the mistake of Donald Ted Trump. Try not to be a hypocrite on national TV. It, but Anthony, you were Donald Trump's mouthpiece, okay. and everybody knew what kind of person he was then, as he's shown himself to be now. So it's very seventy-four million people voted for him, Amanda. All right, I gotta go, guys. This is the country you're living in. Seventy-four million people voted well, for him. Understand those board, voters. Vote Change their will. Okay. Anthony, Thank you all. Goodbye. <laughs> Isn't that great? Oh man, I love uh, watching watching fake Republicans fight is is really entertaining. Thank you CNN for that one. It's like I was like I was like working just for Ted Cruz. How dare you? And Mooch is like, come on, come on, don't be a hypocrite on TV. Come on, and Mooch is here. Hey, oh man, could you could you imagine going from being the the biggest Trump booster? To being a an all out anti Trump critic solely because of your own professional prospects, because you you had the the really good wisdom and judgment that the Mooch had to call up a lib reporter and go on a, a an obscene profanity laced tirade about just all kinds of craziness. Didn't even ask for it to be off the record. Not that that would have even really made it better. And that's what happened. That's what happened. But uh, now he's Mr. Principal. Oh, I've I've owned it. No, you're, you're not owning a mistake when saying that benefits you in every way. That's not owning a mistake. right? That's just saying what you got to in the moment in order to get ahead based on your own reality. Hi, hi, I got to tell you, it's just uh, it's amazing. The stuff that you see on some of these cable news shows, the, the craziness. Now, oh, 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 speaking of crazy and bad cable news, 
Mika Brzezinski. There, there's this, there's this group of people that are media executives at places like NBC, for example, NBC, ABC, CBS, and they're they're really obsessed with a kind of uh, establishment elitism, such that if you have the right last name, they think that people should listen to you. They think that your opinions are worthwhile, and that what you're saying is is important, uh, it, no matter what the actual actual analysis of such statements would lead a normal person to believe. M- Mika Brzezinski, I have never met a person, and I really mean this, in media, and I've been in media now for 10 years, almost. I guess it'll be, I started in, yeah, it'll be 10 years in June that I've been in the media business. And, and I've never met a person who thought that Mika Brzezinski was interesting or good at her job. And yet, she has a show, and she's paid seven figures to do it. I don't know, you know, two million, four million, something like that. And she does it with Joe Scarborough, who's another guy who's just a delusional windbag. And they think that their job is to say that other people are delusional. Here, here is Mika. Play one. The president's working outside the norms. And I'm yeah. telling you, the guy thinks Mike Pence is going to have like a special secret envelope with his name in it. He's delusional. <laughs> It's all going to be okay, Mika. It's all going to be. There's not going to be martial law. There's not going to be a crack in. It's all going to be okay. This is all within the process. It is all within the Constitution and the rule of law. Nothing has been done that breaks or violates any of that on the Republican side. Of course, the big question remains uh, on the Democrat side. What has been done at this state? What has been done uh, in the election and, and what may have occurred as well? We'll see. What are, what are really the chances that there won't be outstanding questions, no matter what the end result is in Georgia for these Senate races? Put, put aside the president for a second. What do you think the chances are there aren't going to be some pretty intense battles over that? I've got to say, I, I'm of the belief that Georgia is going to be a place where we have to look even even more into this because they've they've expanded Yes, Republican Secretary of State Raffensperger has allowed for the expansion of some of these different mechanisms of voting that are more open to, more likely to be uh, nodes of fraud. Drop boxes, for example. Put in more drop boxes. You've got to have more drop boxes everywhere. Why? Why are you doing that? Drop boxes are not a secure way to run an election at all especially the way Georgia set it up very rapidly in just the you know, recent months. He's expanded all of that. That doesn't seem like a good idea to me, does it? Why haven't we been able to get the full transparency that we need already on this? It's not going to all of a sudden change. It's not going to feel all warm and fuzzy when we ask questions about this Georgia Senate election, knowing that we weren't even able to get the full scope of questions answered about the Donald Trump presidential election. Um, but they're just sticking to the script here. Uh, speaking about MSNBC before, here's this guy, Mike Barnacle. Uh, I, I did what? What is, is he? What is a post writer or something? Must be something like that. Mike Barnacle. Let's put a crusty old angry fellow on TV. Hey, Trump. Arr. Here he is on the on the damage done to the country. Play two. Sitting United States senators led by Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz uh, are in 
the middle of an engagement of an act of sedition. And Gene Robinson, I understand that Georgia is important. I understand that if the Democrats ever won both seats, that the landscape in Washington and the country would literally change overnight. But I'm sitting here for the past few days thinking about the incalculable damage that one man, Donald Trump, has done to this country and to our political system. And I'm wondering if you, like me, have thought back to Adam Schiff's summation during the impeachment proceedings when he talked about why Donald Trump had to be impeached. And he raised the question of the Republicans wondering, you know, how much damage could he do? And Schiff ended his summation by saying, a lot. And in my mind, hearkening back to those words then, to today, and what is playing out right in front of the world, I don't think a lot really handles the scope of the damage that Donald Trump has done. What is the damage? Somebody, somebody want to try to answer that one for me? What is the damage? I mean, let's, just, let's just take them at their word for a second and assume that they actually believe the nonsense that they're spewing here. What's the big problem? Somebody said, well, what, what did he do by saying that he thinks that there was cheating? Demo- let's let's never allow them to forget. Democrats came up with a crazy conspiracy theory. And manufactured evidence at the highest level of the federal bureaucracy, including the Department of Justice, the FBI, using the FISA courts. They manufactured evidence to create a fake, uh, a, a fake conspiracy between Trump and Russia to steal the election. And they this was the primary method of their opposition to Trump for the first three years of his presidency. In the fourth year, I think it transitioned a bit to, you know, covid and, and the impeachment before that. And remember that, too. They pushed for that. Just sham that laughable, absurd, disgusting impeachment of the president on what was, in fact, especially now that we know additional information about what was really going on with Hunter Biden, a hundred percent fine phone call. They impeached the president over that. You want to talk about doing damage to our democracy? They got a special counsel based on a lie. Russia collusion was a lie. These people were lying about it. The media apparatus of the Democrat Party was engaged in a wholesale fraud for three years against Trump. And now we're supposed to be so worried because of the sanctity of our democracy is under assault because Trump thinks the Democrats cheat. Democrats always cheat in elections. It's just a question of how much. As always, this is their thing. That's why notice they never accuse Republicans of cheating in elections by ballot stuffing or by having fake voters or whatever. That's that's a Democrats thing. So that's why they had to come up with Russia collusion. Oh, a foreign power working with Trump to steal the election. This is simply absurd. But but you notice that the, the speech that you heard there on air before, that, that moronic uh, monologue from Barnacle over at, uh, over at MSNBC about the damage Trump, what is the damage exactly? And the moment they start to blabber about oh, sanctity of our democracy and a process and institutions, and all, you say, what was Russia collusion exactly? I mean, how do you guys think you're in any position whatsoever to lecture anyone on democratic norms or, or any of this stuff, given the just the, the absurdity 
and the insanity of Russia collusion. I, I just want to know what, what, what exactly is there, what exactly is, is the point that one would have to, one would be able to make about this. Uh, I'm, I'm, oh, but uh, when you're looking for really stupid political analysis, can you do any better than Joy Behar? Play 13. I thought, get the straight jacket, get the straight jacket. He's, he's gone. This guy's gone. He's on his knees begging with his Raspenberger, whatever his name is. I can, what is it? Raspenberger. It's a hard one. And I give him, I give him credit. I give, I give props to Raspenberger. He, he's, he did a good job. Yes. He will not bend over. He will not bend over for this guy. But you know what? I'm wondering if we have the 25th amendment, because, you know, this is, if you don't use it with them, when are they going to use it? When, when one flew over the cuckoo's nest? I mean, when are they going to use it? If they didn't impeach him before, and I guess they could still impeach him, and I understand that if they impeach him again, he can't run for president again. That would be a mitzvah. A, an unfunny, semi-literate comedian, my friends, is, is who we are supposed to be taking political analysis from, according to the left. If you watch that show, The View... I mean, really, the, the, the view is an abomination of political ignorance. But, you know, people watch it. People watch it. And they, they listen to these individuals, which is in and of itself uh, you know, appalling. But they do. The 25th Amendment, they're going to remove the president at this. We're a few weeks away from what's going to be the Joe Biden inauguration. I know it hurts me to say it, but that's what's going to happen. We're a few weeks away from it. So what what's... What's, and yeah, oh, we're going to have the objection, which is good. We're going to hear it and everything else. But they don't have the votes. They don't have the votes to stop the certification. So they will certify and we will be dealing with this new reality, which will include imbeciles at MSNBC and ABC and these other places just pretending that the last four years didn't even happen as you know it. They're going to engage in a wholesale, large scale rewriting of history to favor Democrats. Speaking of Democrats, Kamala Harris got a little authenticity, a little uh, a little honesty problem here. Let's get into that. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Kamala Harris, somebody who advanced herself politically through an illicit personal romantic relationship uh, with a married man, you know, much, much, much older than her. But, you know, it worked. The media doesn't talk about it, but it's true. We all know about this. He was uh, Willie Brown was the guy and uh, he, Kamala Harris was his. Uh, what do we what do we say? Uh, mistress, uh, girlfriend. I mean, he was married. But anyway, Kamala Harris, not not a, a a particularly impressive politician, but managed to play the system the right way, become a senator in California. You know, she checks off some of the right boxes and now she's going to be vice president. But she's not very interesting um, when she talks about stuff. So she's going to have a hard time unless she does a bit of uh, creative writing of her history. And that's what I think we see here in an L magazine interview. Harris talked about her parents' involvement in the 1960s civil rights movement. Here's the quote. Senator Kamala Harris started her life's work young. She laughs from her gut the way you would with family, as she remembers being wheeled through an Oakland, California, 
civil rights march in a stroller with no straps with her parents and her uncle. At some point, she fell from the stroller, and the adults, caught up in the rapture of protest, just kept on marching. By the time they noticed little Kamala was gone and doubled back, she was understandably upset. My mother tells the story about how I'm fussing, Harris told the magazine, and she's like, baby, what do you want? What do you need? And I just looked at her and I said, freedom. Now, that's FW. That's how it's written. Freedom. It's supposed to be a cute, heartwarming story about how Kamala has always been dedicated to this. But someone's pointed out that in 1965, Martin Luther King Jr. did an interview in Playboy magazine where he said the following, quote, I will never forget a moment in Birmingham when a white policeman accosted a little a little girl, seven or eight years old, who was walking in a demonstration with her mother. What do you want? The policeman asked gruffly, and the little girl looked at him straight in the eye and answered, Feedom, F-E-E-D-O-M. She couldn't even pronounce it, but she knew it was beautiful. Many times when I've been in sorely trying situations, the memory of that little one has come into my mind and has buoyed me. Uh, we think that's a coincidence. Or did Kamala take this story and redo it a little bit to apply to herself? You all, I mean, you all know the answer. But you think the media cares? They're engaged in the creative writing to make Kamala seem like some great historic figure themselves. They, they are the scribes of the rewriting of Kamala's past. They, they are the people that are directly involved and engaged in that kind of uh, Histor- uh, you know, historical revision. So get ready for a lot more of that because the thing about Kamala is she was rejected by the Democrat electorate. She couldn't really get much at all going for her in the presidential election. The Democrat base didn't really like her all that much. That's obvious from the votes. But now the system of the left requires that there is love for Kamala, so they will have to lie to get there. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Liberty, truth, and great hair. Feel those funky beats. It's time for Roll Call. Roll Call, everybody. Get the call of the roll going. Facebook.com slash Buck Saxon. Please check in on BuckSaxon.com. You can always listen to the podcast there if you want. On demand. So easy. If you're not a big uh, podcast platform person, just go to BuckSaxon.com. You can also listen to the iHeartRadio app. Please tell somebody. It's a new year, new podcast, new radio shows for folks out there. And anyone you know who likes politics, you should tell them about the Buck Sexton Show because it is awesome. It is fantastic, uh, if I if I may say so. And so with that, we will get into all the latest and greatest. But first, I do have something for Producer Mark. I think, Producer Mark, this is very important. Are you there, my friend? Of course. Where else would I be? Just making sure. Um, so I was yesterday after a very, very long day of like nonstop radio and TV and content creation because I'm like a... I'm like a machine that just does this all day long. And I, I, I was all I wanted to do was go into that watching something that's brain off mode. And for me, a great way to do that, a great way to go brain off mode is the office on Netflix. Oh, you and finally realized it's not there, didn't you? I 
I was about to throw my controller at the wall. I was looking. I was like, "What? What do you? What do you mean? I can't watch the all? What do you mean? I was. I was like, I was indignant about this, producer Mark, because if you want to spend like twenty five minutes just amused, entertained, and not having to think, and just sort of just brain off mode, you know, because I've already I've seen every episode of The Office. I don't even know how many times it's born, but I just kind of it's almost like a background show, but I'm not doing anything else while it's on, you know. And and it's gone. Bruce and Mark, what have they done? How did they take this from me? Well, uh, NBC still had the rights to it. And the contract with Netflix ended uh, December 31st. So uh, now it is on Peacock. The heck is Peacock? It's NBC's new streaming service. But this one's free. It's just ad-supported, unless you pay for the non-ad-supported version. Uh, so now I got to watch commercials to watch The Office, yeah. and I got to support NBC in the process, too. Yeah. It doesn't really bother me, the because I have Hulu with, with ads. It doesn't bother me. <sighs> Does Hulu have any great original, new, recent programming that I should be aware of? Um, I feel like Netflix comes out with all this new stuff all the time, but I don't really see much of the Hulu stuff. They definitely have it. I'm just not as familiar with it. I usually you know, use Hulu for like TV shows that are currently on. Yeah. You know. So who, here's my... I had The Office and Friends were my brain off in the background shows. And now they're both gone. What? What? Where can I watch Seinfeld? Seinfeld's on Hulu. Ah, okay. That is. Um, they also have a bunch of other good sitcoms. Like what? Like they've got uh, Superstore. I don't know if that's the Superstore you probably like. It's like The Office, but in a Walmart. Oh, yeah, I will Fantastic. check that out. And actually. Brooklyn Nine Nine is the other one I would recommend to you. Is that with Andy Samberg? Yes. That one is one of the funniest shows I've ever seen, honestly. I will check out I'll check out Superstore and and I may watch uh, the Snow Princess likes uh, or told me that the, the show about the creek that we can't say on radio. Yes. Is is good, too. So, I'll well, I mean, it out. won like every Emmy last year. So it's got to yeah. be good. So I got to check that one out. All right. Roll call, which I know it's time to hear from the folks, from my beloved team. Oh, and don't forget, you can become a, a Facebook supporter if you want a little extra team buck access we're going to be we have videos going up there that won't be anywhere else and we're going to be doing some uh, facebook meetup kind of stuff and it's going to be fun so you can be a facebook supporter just go to facebook.com slash buck sexton all righty with that we go to our roll call we get sandy hey buck and producer mark i'm baffled as to what the end game is for blue state governor shutting down small business it can't just be so these people will be dependent on government for survival. Less people working equals less tax dollars. The government can't afford to take care of all the people it's putting out of work. I'm just not understanding the logic. All right, Sandy, very interesting, worthwhile question. Let me try to address this one. There are a couple of different ways we go with this. Uh, first of all, never assume the Democrats have a plan that is sane and reasonable, always leave open the possibility that they're a little crazy. Uh, always leave room for crazy, as I'm fond of saying. You know, you don't know. And at a time of mass hysteria like this, there is certainly plenty of reason to believe that there, there are Democrats, there will be Democrats out there who are um, incapable of seeing the kind of obvious reality of the, the downside of their policies. All right, so that's one part of this. But here, here's another. Let me put out a theory for you. It's, in fact, a theory based on a theory. Modern monetary theory, MMT. 
What we see happening right now is a reordering of our expectations of government and society such that we are sending out, you know, right now we've got Republicans, we've got Trump saying, let's send out $2,000 checks. Now that's for an extreme, that's for an emergency. But remember, an emergency for the left is always also viewed as an opportunity for government. And what we think of as you and I would say, well, yeah, $2,000 check, let's get it to people. Well, the left sees this and says, okay, you write that check, but there are a lot of people that have a lot of problems. Why not give them a $2,000 check every month for all eternity? Everybody who you know makes below a certain amount of money, let's say. And you say, oh, wait, wait a second. Oh, you mean a, you mean a, a minimum basic income? Right? You mean, a, you mean a, a universal basic income? UBI. Ah, okay. Well, you, when you have UBI, people start to say, well, it's very expensive. And then you get to MMT, modern monetary theory. And the left... Ocasio-Cortez, Bernie Sanders, they believe in this stuff. MMT means that you can spend as much money as you want. MMT means that whatever uh, whatever debt you want to run up is fine because it's money that goes back to us, so who cares? Spend whatever you have to spend and then just deal with inflation as it comes along. That's That's the very basic version of MMT. And for those of us who would say, well, that's crazy, you're going to debase the currency, I'd say, yeah, look at Bitcoin, look at gold, look what's going on here. Is it that those things are gaining value, or is it really more that the dollar is losing value right now? Because everyone realizes you're putting more and more dollars, more and more money in circulation, digital currency mostly, but still, it's out there, it's perception, it's value. So... Uh, this is my, my long-winded way of answering your question, because I found this very interesting, Sandy, is that there is a belief among the left that is maybe a little bit crazy, but also rooted in MMT theory, that yes, we'll have all these businesses go under, and yes, there'll be far more people dependent on the government, but we've already established all we have to do is write them a check. Everyone starts getting more and more checks. And you would say, I'm sure, Sandy, well, hold on, well, who's... Who's supporting the value behind those those deposits of currency, which is effectively what you're talking about? Who, who's where is the actual value creation to maintain the the purchasing power of those dollars when you're just putting more and more and more of them in circulation as effectively a massive welfare program? They don't have an answer to that. You know what their answer is? Don't be mean. Why don't you care more about people? Why don't, why don't you want to do more to help people? So that's what we're up against. Aaron, I, like you, hold Barr bar at a very high regard and do believe he saved the president. However, he is losing my support lately. Why would he come out and tell everyone he will not assign a special counsel to the Hunter Biden investigation? Um, Aaron, fair point. Thank you for uh, writing in and bringing this up. Attorney General Barr... Uh, Attorney General Barr is no longer the Attorney General, so let's start with that. He resigned, but former AG Barr, um, yes, he was a he was brilliant and and praiseworthy on the uh, on the Mueller probe, and I think that we all need to under we all should remember that. Why would he not assign a special counsel to the Hunter Biden investigation? I don't have a good answer for you. He said he didn't see a need for it. Look, it's it's very possible that Hunter Biden was, while peddling influence, not necessarily running afoul of criminal statutes. I know people don't want to hear that, but that is possible. That he 
you know, if he uh, uh, declared all the money he was getting from Burisma in Ukraine, for example, and paid taxes on it, you know, what they got Manafort on, for example, wasn't who I now I know now has been pardoned. What they got Manafort on wasn't Russia collusion. It wasn't it was the guy was getting paid a lot of money, wasn't paying any taxes on it. That's what they nailed Manafort on. If Hunter Biden actually declared the money that he was making from these influence peddling schemes, paid taxes on it, you know, I know they said there's a money laundering probe, but maybe uh, maybe he was smart enough to actually. I'm not saying he did. I'm just saying it's possible. And Barr would know more about the state of that investigation. So that's that's a possibility. I don't have a good answer for you, though. I wish I could tell you, oh, here's here's why he wouldn't declare special counsel, because to me, the Hunter Biden situation almost cries out for a special counsel. To me, the Hunter Biden situation, when you have a an incoming president whose son is under federal federal investigation, of course, there's a conflict of interest within the normal operations of the executive branch at the DOJ. So wouldn't you want to have a special counsel looking into that? Isn't that if there was ever a need for a special counsel, wouldn't it be Hunter Biden? I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'll get to ask Attorney General Barr that at some point. I'm sorry, former Attorney General Barr. But that's the best answer I can give you right now on that. And we'll get more roll call coming up here. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right, back into roll call. Here we get Paul. And remember, if you want to write to roll call, Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com or Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Paul, how can we mobilize? I'm talking to people locally in New Jersey, but I've never organized on a large scale. It's time to come together. Paul, well, one way is by writing into a show like this and having other people in Team Buck, you know, hear that you want to mobilize. And then it's you can create a site. You can create a digital gathering point. You can share information there and then you can. If you want to be part of the rally, I know there's a huge rally, and I, I meant to speak about this earlier, a huge rally planned in D.C. tomorrow, and I'm sure there will also be counter-protesters and a kind of counter-rally or whatever going on, and, and that will involve Antifa lunatics and, and left-wing people who are, who are violent and destructive, and the media will cover for them because that's what they do, because they're dishonest and disgraceful. But uh, yeah, Paul, that's this is this is a good start. But I would say find like minded people online, um, find people who you know, listen to the show, for example, gather together with them and come up with what your plan of action may be. I mean, if it's just getting the word out and demonstrations and showing through peaceful protest uh, your point of view and showing the American people will not be or at least the Rep- Republicans and conservatives conservatives will not be. Uh, silenced, that's one thing. But there's also the more traditional grassroots fundraising, organizing, and these are areas that Democrats do very well in, unfortunately. they, The organizing and the getting together and the community activism, there's a whole culture among the Democrats of doing that. We saw that with the Tea Party, and let me just tell you right now, we need that mentality to come back. What we're going to need here is Tea Party 2.0. Now, I'm not sure Tea Party is the best branding for it, the best name for it, anything like that. But that spirit of people gathering at their community level, people coming together and coming up with a plan of action to mobilize 
And then to take that to action at the ballot box, which we saw, remember, in 2010, huge repudiation of the Obama agenda. Thank you to the Tea Party in 2010 and what happened with the House and the Congress. So I would I would point all that out. I I would look at all that. Matt. Hey, Buck and producer Mark. Been listening to your show for a long time. Have always enjoyed it. Thank you for all the hard work you put in. It really shows. Thank you, Matt. I will say I love this show, but man, it is it is a lot of work. Uh, doing this show and doing the TV show and the website and writing and uh, American Consequences that I contribute to a magazine, American Consequences, all the things that I'm doing all the time. It's it's a lot. It's a lot. And I still need producer Mark to tell me you have a meeting at three. You have to show up on time for radio tomorrow at, 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 at X time. You got to do this, that. It's a lot of things. It's a lot of things. But uh, producer Mark, we're somehow we're somehow we've kept the train on the tracks, dude. Yeah, somehow, some way, we get the show to our listeners every day. And we appreciate them for listening. We do. And Matt also says, my question is, why can't Trump impound all the voting machines and check how many votes were cast illegally? Isn't this a federal election after all? P.S. Hope you and the Snow Princess had a nice vacation in Florida. You deserve it. Thank you, Matt. We did. We had a great vacation in Florida. Great week down there. Um, Look, I I think I'm going to move to Florida. I'm just going to say it. I think I'm going to move to Florida probably within, probably, Within uh, two to three years, that's my my time horizon. But I think moving to Florida is very likely uh, for me. Uh, I think that I I need to at least I know it's not a, a red state. It's not like moving to Wyoming or something where you're, you know it's a red state. But I, 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 there's so many. I don't want, I don't want to do another free infomercial for Florida. I feel like I've been doing that too much lately. <laughs> you know, WIOD and WFLA listeners are like, good job, Buck. But yeah, I know. I I think I'm going to be joining you all down there. If I move to Florida, though, producer Mark, am I allowed to say y'all? Is that considered Southern for the purposes of being a y'all user? Well, it depends on what part of Florida you're in. Perfect. I think you're totally yeah. correct. I think that's a perfect answer. I think if I move to Pensacola, I can say y'all. Yes. But if I move to Miami, I have to say, um, you know, you, hello. No, you, you don't change anything because that area of Florida is basically, basically the New sixth York. borough of New York. Yeah. You know, yeah. Without the crazy policies. Nancy, next up. I've been listening to you since the real news days. Also, whenever Glenn Beck had you on his show prior to that, I've been a listener to Glenn's for many years. I obviously love listening to you, so I still listen to all three hours of your radio show. Always thought you're very sharp, knowledgeable, and entertaining. I love the impressions you do, and Commie Bear and your other fun characters. I enjoy your banner with producer Mark near the end of the show each day, too. And these days especially, I really appreciate the insight you're able to provide in this crazy world. I listen to your show on the iHeart app, usually in the evenings. Happy belated birthday. Love your show and Shields High. Well, Nancy, thank you for the uh, belated birthday present here by writing in this very supportive and kind note. It really means a lot. And it really is just Mark and I putting this together every day and blasting out the show all across the country and all over the Internet. And uh, the fact that folks like you get something out of it, enjoy it and know that you can come here and you know what you're getting every day. You know what you're a part of. You know what being a member of the team is. Uh, that that is deeply meaningful and we're very appreciative everybody it's going to be a big day tomorrow because we're going to have a lot to talk about from uh, everything that's happened today so get ready for it shields high